Pints with Jack, Season 3, Episode 42. After Hours with The Prancing Pony. Good morning and welcome to Pints with Jack, a podcast where normally two enthusiastic C.S. Lewis amateurs get together, share a beverage and discuss a work of C.S. Lewis. But this week, a fresh barrel of ale mysteriously arrived at the Eagle and Child pub. It was sent from an inn located in the town of Bree, accompanied by Alan and Sean from the Prancing Pony podcast. So if you are unfamiliar with their podcast, firstly, where have you been? But the Prancing Pony podcast is a weekly podcast about the Middle-earth legendarium of J.R.R. Tolkien, hosted by the real-life Lord of the Mark, Sean E. Marchese, and the Man of the West, Alan Sisto. They are passionate Tolkien enthusiasts who invite listeners to enjoy their detailed exploration of Tolkien's work with smart but straightforward discussion and a heavy dose of humour, not to mention a few song references. In each episode, they cover a chapter of one of Tolkien's works, reading their favourite passages, discussing recurring themes, and highlighting connections to other Middle-earth tales to showcase the rich tapestry woven by the master storyteller J.R.R. Tolkien. Alan and Sean, welcome to Pints with Jack. Thank you so much, David. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, David. It's a pleasure to be here. So although Marie and I inaugurated Tolkien Month last week by discussing the 2019 movie, Tolkien, uh, this, I think, is where we're really going to start getting into the meat of things. Uh, in today's episode, Alan and Sean, they're going to be giving us a really solid introduction to Tolkien's life, his loves, his languages, as well as a sketch of the corpus of his work, particularly focusing on the book which they are currently discussing on their podcast, The Lord of the Rings. However, before we get to that, I need a pint of something. So let's talk about <laughs> the drink of the week. After all, if more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. Indeed. Hear, hear. And appropriately enough, inspired by Middle Earth, today I am drinking Dragon's Milk beer. How about you guys? Well, I, I hate to be the boring one, so I'm just going to go ahead and go first. I am drinking that fabulous concoction, dihydrogen monoxide. Uh, it is fabulously cool, quenching the thirst, and, uh, well, it tastes great. <laughs> Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I can't argue with that. I, I've been known to imbibe a little dihydrogen monoxide once in a while myself. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. But tonight, since we're representing the Prancing Pony, I felt mm -hmm. it best to bring in a pint of my own homebrew deal today. Homebrew. I love homebrew. it. Homebrew. I brew my own beer. I have brewed my own beer for several years now. And I have with me a pint of my own version of an English sort of traditional pub bitter here. And... Uh, by the way it tastes, I have to say it's probably been laid under an enchantment of surpassing excellence by some wizard, so I think I'm <laughs> good to go. That's wonderful. That is. It is. Thank you. So now we've done the drink of the week, let's get on to the quote of the week. And this is an extract from C.S. Lewis's diary recounting his first meeting with Professor Tolkien. Tolkien was a smooth, pale, fluent little chap. No harm in him. Only needs a smack or so. <laughs> Pretty much what I said about Sean from the beginning, actually. <laughs> I'm surprised you called me fluent, but thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Your word nerdery proves that. But yeah, yeah it's an yeah. occasional smack. Okay, so the last piece of housekeeping we need to toast, because in each episode we tend to toast one of the top-tier patron supporters. Ah, good. And today we're toasting James Ryder. So, James... 
May the blessings of elves and men and all free folk go with you wherever you go. And may the stars shine upon your face. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, James. That's excellent. It's great. I love seeing podcasts, uh, you know, really support the, the folks who support them. I think that's great. <laughs> Absolutely. Community is really what it's all yeah, about for it's us. Huge. So, yeah. Whenever I talk to other podcasters, it's the most consistent thing that people say that they love most mm-hmm. about podcasting. Yeah. It's because yeah. they suddenly end up with all these extra friends that they never knew they had. Yeah, it yeah, really is true. It's been great. It yeah. really is true. And, and it's, it's great to be able to make a connection with people. Mm-hmm. Kind of keeps us going. It really does. And also find some fellow nerds on other sides of the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yep, Everywhere you too. go, yes. So, gentlemen, would you mind introducing yourselves a little bit more to the listeners and filling out a little bit of your backgrounds? Sure. Sean, you want to go ahead and first and I'll, I'll jump in? Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. Um, so, let's see. My background. Well, I live in Texas now, but I am from Louisiana originally. I've been a fan of languages and mythology really since I was a little kid, as long as I can remember. And not to come across as too nerdy this early in the show, but I taught myself a little (laughs) Greek and Latin as a kid. And my education ended up being in English literature and classical studies. So uh, I I dare not compare myself to Tolkien, but but we have that in common, that we both started out as classicists. But Mm. uh, after I finished college, I, I decided not to pursue an academic career. I decided to go out into the world. Uh, but I've continued doing a, a lot of reading and uh, a fair bit of writing and even a little film production here and there. And now I'm doing some podcasting. So uh, it's uh, it's it's been a it's been a fun road. Yes, it has. Uh, I'm from Southern California. Uh, I have a varied background, but uh, my day job currently is as a uh, architectural photographer. Not doing a lot of that lately, thanks to the pandemic and, and all the shutdowns. But uh Thankfully, I've been able to pour a lot of time into the podcast as a result. I've been in California all my life, born and raised here. Uh, And of course, I've loved Tolkien for as long as I can remember. I think I probably first encountered Tolkien when I was about 10, I imagine. I think it was the Rankin and Bass um, adaptation of The Hobbit had come out in 1977. And I think I saw it in 1978 or read the book in 1978. So that's when I first encountered Tolkien and I've, I've... Absolutely enjoyed reading him every year ever since. Uh, and that's that's definitely the big part of my background that's relevant to the podcast, at least. <laughs> I actually discovered Tolkien in 1991. I was 15, which I think is a perfect age for Lord of the Rings. And this was a, a decade before the Peter Jackson film. So I, I really didn't have much knowledge of what I was getting into. You know, uh, I... I, I can't imagine what it's like for people these days who have a chance to discover the movies before the books. I had I had none of that, like you, Alan. Right. But I'd been, you know, I'd been a fantasy fan for a long time. Um, you know, D and D and cheap paperback fantasy novels and stuff like that. And I read something about Tolkien one day about how he started writing The Hobbit, and I, I said, this sounds really cool. <laughs> I went out and bought a box set of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and read those straight through, and then I. Went on into the Silmarillion, and I, I never really left Middle-earth after that, really. So you got started pretty early, but at some point it got more serious, uh, and you then <laughs> decided to start a podcast. How did that happen? Oh, goodness. That is a fun story. <laughs> yeah. I, let, let me, let me, I'll fill in a little bit here, maybe up until when, like how we met, Alan, because I think that's, sure. that's a fun part of the story. Okay. I, 
I think we both were kind of reading Lord of the Rings every year for a while. Uh, speaking yeah. for myself personally, my next big level up as a Tolkien nerd came when I became a dad. In 2013, I had a son and I read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings aloud to my son when he was a baby just to get him to sleep. And that really, <laughs> after so many years of rereading Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, I, I suddenly reading it aloud kind of awakened something new for me. Yeah. And yeah. that started me on this, a deeper study of Tolkien. I started reading the Carpenter biography and the letters and, and all the, the great scholars that, that we constantly reference on our show. And uh, I started finding myself in Facebook groups and that's how I managed to meet Alan. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. We were in a group that was doing uh, regular book week posts, which was a great, really different thing from so many of the other groups that kind of devolved mm -hmm. into memes and discussions about movie casts. Uh, this group, while it still had plenty of that, did have a few moderators and administrators who wanted to make it more book focused. And so we had these book weeks where we were to take a quote from a particular book. Maybe that week was going to be Fellowship of the Ring, and we would take a quote and talk about it briefly. And what was kind of funny is we kept sort of intentionally or not kind of one-upping each other. We realized <laughs> we were both taking this pretty seriously. So we were like, you know, maybe it was 200 words and then it was 400 words. And then, it was, <laughs> and then true. we were citing yeah. other sources and referencing things. It was pretty funny. It was, and there were, there were some great, there were some great posts that people were writing, you know, oh, the yeah. best ones were like a short essay. And then Alan and I just started doing these, you know, really long <laughs> essays and quoting letters and bringing in all these just yeah. weird insights that you wouldn't think anybody would care about in a Facebook group. And no. if nothing else, we started noticing each other. And so I started so. commenting. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And I don't know, we just kind of hit it off through that. And then yeah. there was something there was something off topic one day about podcasts, wasn't there? I think there was. I think you you said it. You mentioned something about podcasts. Yeah, no, I'd been really into history podcasts and things like that. And right. I, I think I'd said something about Oh yeah, podcasts seem podcasts are really cool. I love listening to them. It would be really neat to do one someday. Just some right. offhand comment, the kind of thing you'd just say. But the timing was perfect because <laughs> at that at that exact moment, I'd been doing some voiceover work for about a year, maybe at that point. Uh, so I've been doing that a little longer than I've been doing podcasting. And one of my VO coaches suggested that I might become a little more comfortable behind the microphone, a more conversational style, if I did a podcast. And this coach told me, don't worry, nobody will listen. Just talk about whatever you want. I mean, it's not a big deal. Just do a podcast, and, which I still remember those words. And I thought, all right. And so for about two or three weeks, I was thinking, what in the world am I going to podcast about? I mean, I have a lot of different interests, but I'm not sure that any of them are the kind of thing I'd want to talk about for a half an hour or an hour, let alone two or sometimes three hours as we did in season one. And alone, right? I mean, just talking yourself. Yeah. And alone. That was the thing. That was the big thing. I did not want to do this by myself. And I knew that if I did, it was going to be small. It was going to be you know, really minimal effort. I didn't want to do something on my own. So I realized, mm -hmm. what can I talk about for more than a half Minimal effort. I like somebody? that. <laughs> well, yeah. I, you know, if I'm going to be by myself, I'm not, I'm not going to put time, much yeah. into this thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, all right, what am I going to do? Well, Tolkien would be great. But, you know, at the time I was listening to Corey Olson, and he's the Tolkien yeah. professor. Uh, the Tolkien professor, as Michael Trout might remind us. Yeah. <laughs> and he uh, has a great show. And I was listening to his early stuff, you know, back when he was teaching the Lord of the Rings, teaching the Hobbit uh, at a, you know, undergrad level at Washington mm -hmm. College before he, yeah. you know, founded Signum and Mythgard and all that. And was probably in the middle of the Silmarillion seminar 
when this idea came along. And I thought, well, I'd love to do Tolkien, but man, Corey Olson is already doing a great job. I can't, I can't compete with that. He's forgotten mm-hmm. more than I'll ever know. I mean, that guy just knows his stuff. But then I he thought he is the Tolkien professor. I mean, that's what you that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. With that definite article, I mean, that makes it right. clear. Est- firmly establishing him as the only one. That's correct. <laughs> the and only the Tolkien professor. Yeah. So we. Before I talked to Sean, I thought, all right, I want to have somebody do this with me. If I'm going to do Tolkien, it's got to be a totally different format. I don't want to look like I'm trying to copy Corey Olson because the 17 people that are going to listen to the show are going to notice that. So I thought, all right, I'll reach out to Sean because he mentioned this podcast thing and because he's obviously kind of on the same page with me in terms of analysis. He thinks a lot of the same things. He digs deep. He's got a linguistic approach to it that I really appreciate. And he obviously had a little bit of a sense of humor. So I reached out. I said, hey, Sean, I'm just wondering. Do you think you might want to do a podcast on Tolkien someday? <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah. I remember at the time it was just, oh, you know, maybe we'll do one episode a month or something like that. Yeah. It'll just be yeah. like 12 people, 20 people maybe from our Facebook group that'll listen to this thing. Right. And and so I was like, yeah, that sounds easy enough. Let, you know, count me in. Yeah. Um, my wife still laughs at me because I like I sat her down one day and I said, honey, I want to start a podcast with a guy. And, uh, and she still thinks that's the funniest thing ever. Like I was going to bring some really bad idea to her. Um, right. But, uh, but yeah, no, we, we just kind of, we, we jumped in the booth one day. We, we, what, we uh-huh. did a little bit of promotional stuff, just kind of told people what we were doing. And then we, we mm-hmm. recorded our first episode and then we yeah. quickly realized that no monthly isn't going to work. We're going to try and do this thing bi-weekly. No. And then. Yeah. After yeah. a season of that, we said we really would like to get to weekly if we can. And and our patrons did that. That was our first goal. Thanks to some amazing support on Patreon. Yeah, we, we've been able to yeah. do that. And what kind of stuff do you actually go through for people who haven't listened to your podcast? Well, we are definitely a chapter by chapter walkthrough. Uh, it, yeah. We started with the idea of doing a chapter per episode. But what we really do now is about six to seven pages per episode. <laughs> so <laughs> we have slowed our pace down considerably. Uh, I think we did the Silmarillion in... I don't know, maybe, well, season one had 52 episodes, but probably about 45 of those were actually textual-based. Yeah, something something like that, yeah. Because we had some interviews and a couple specials and things like that. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we just do a few pages at a time, and we usually have an introductory segment where we talk about something like This Week in Tolkien History, where we talk about things that happened in his, in his life, or uh, maybe, you know, meanwhile, elsewhere in Middle Earth. So we kind of take a glance at other timelines that are happening parallel. Uh, my mm-hmm. favorite is Sean's philology fair when he digs deep into a particular word that we're going to encounter in that episode, talking fun facts, things like That's that. That's always a fun so, one, yeah. Yeah. So we have an introductory segment, and then we have the bulk of our discussion, which is about yeah. an hour to an hour and a half, and then we have the mailbag. So we answer questions yeah. from people. And our discussion is really just us re- reading passages, a passage at a time, and then just kind of talking through major themes that we see, interesting yes. bits of linguistics interesting bits of middle earth history that are worth pointing out we you know that we think are really relevant to the passage in question interesting philosophical stuff theological stuff i mean it's just really anything that sort of catches our eye that that we think would work for interesting reading and and sort of bring a little bit more to the text and we especially like to bring things together from other works of tolkien yeah and when lord of the rings came out the silmarillion didn't exist and that's the reason why we did the silmarillion in season 1 was to give mm. people that that foundation, but it's great to be able to tie things back. So when yeah. Bilbo finds Sting in The Hobbit, or when Frodo gets to Rivendell in The Lord of the Rings, 
we can talk about those things and those people from a mm-hmm. first or second age perspective and bring in that that extra information. So uh, it is uh, it, it's a lot of fun. We definitely, I think one way to put it is that we take the material seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. Uh, <laughs> and we we definitely have a lot of fun on the show, a lot of laughs. Um, definitely enjoyable, fun times. It's supposed to be as much entertaining as it is educational. And you learn not only about Middle Earth, but about pop and rock references. Definitely classic rock and prog rock for sure, yeah. <laughs> now, speaking for myself, you know, I've been podcasting for a few years now, and I would definitely say that it has changed me, and it's also changed my appreciation of C.S. Lewis. So I was wondering, how has running your podcast changed you and your appreciation of The Professor? Oh, wow. Sean, that, that's a big, big question, but it's a good one. Yeah, it, it oh, is a great goodness. question. I mean, I feel like for me, it's given me a broader perspective on Tolkien's work. Yes. I think as a reader, reading a work in isolation, I think you you connect with whatever particular aspect of the story that you connect with. You know, you bring your own baggage and your own applicability to the story and you find something you like. For me, it was always the languages and the elves and the the mythology from the Silmarillion but then when you're talking about a podcast for a general audience, you really have to be a generalist. And, and I, I feel like that, is, that has kind of made me aware of th- things that I would not have necessarily picked up on. It opens my eyes to stuff that I never noticed before. Things like fate and free will or the nature of evil or how much astronomy there really is in Lord of the Rings. You know, things like that. that <laughs> Quite a bit. That I wouldn't necessarily have picked up on. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't still have our own particular hobby horses. As Alan said, mm-hmm. I'm a little bit obsessed with the language and I, I kind of yeah. bring that stuff in as often as I can. But I, I don't know. I think it kind of forces you outside of that that narrow perspective and it kind of, again, just opens your eyes to other stuff. I don't know. What about you, Alan? I absolutely concur with that. That's something that I've noticed as well. When I used to read Tolkien, I just would get totally engrossed in that story, in that moment of that story. And Mm -hmm. as a podcaster, I can't afford to do that. I have to get out and above. I have to kind of take this 30,000-foot overview. I have to be able to zoom in, but I have to be able to zoom way out and to tie it together to things from the first age, the second age. I also have to be able to tie it to things in the primary world and talk about real-world influences uh, in terms of Maybe history, you know, for example, the Dead Marshes uh, and the and No Man's Land in World War One, or we could talk about literary influences and some of the bones in the soup, as it were. So, doing the podcast has has really broadened my horizons in terms of Tolkien as both a, a man and a professor and a writer, and also just the works as a whole, taking the Legendarium and even more than that, because sometimes we often refer to uh, Smith of Major or Leaf by Niggle, even in the middle of the Lord of the Rings. So it doesn't have to even be the the legendarium itself. Yeah, you start to see how those those lesser works, they're all written by the same man and there are the the same themes show up throughout. And you might, you'll get a very different perspective on something in Lord of the Rings by reading something like Leaf by Niggle or Smith of Wooten Major. Absolutely. One quick illustration of that, uh, when, when, and this was a Facebook post, actually, I think it was one of the ones that I wrote around the time we started, when I was reading The Homecoming of Beortnath Beorthelm's Son and realized how closely that story paralleled that of Turin 
And it really revealed mm-hmm. what Tolkien thought of that behavior. Now, just to give you a brief, brief, brief Reader's Digest version of that, in that story, which is based on the real-life Battle of Maldon, the uh, Norsemen, the Vikings, were invading, and they were on this peninsula, and there was only this very narrow little spit of land to the mainland, and it could be blocked by one person, and it had been blocked. And they weren't able to invade. They weren't able to attack. And essentially, he challenged the English, uh, the Anglo-Saxon warrior uh, to to fight a fair fight. Let his men come across, and then they would fight a fair fight. And of course, the Anglo-Saxons got their butts kicked. Uh, and Tolkien's view on this was that was stupid. You know, your responsibility was to take care of the people that you're leading and to take care of the, the people that you're protecting. Your responsibility was not to be chivalrous and to have a fair fight. And then you realize that it's so similar to what Turin did uh, in, mm-hmm. in giving up his ability to defend Nargothrond by building that massive bridge across uh, the river which allowed for it to be invaded and destroyed and sacked. And that tie-in from a legendarium to a non-legendarium piece was just eye-opening. And you see those kinds of all the time, all the time. And, and, it goes, and it goes even deeper than that, because remember when we started out book two of Lord of the Rings, that is the second book of Fellowship of the Ring, for those, those who, right. who don't know, we, we saw a very close parallel to that same idea with Boromir. As Boromir is leaving Rivendell mm. and he blows yes. his horn and he's doing this yeah. and, and, you know, they say, dude, why did you blow that horn? You're letting everybody around, every orc around for miles know that we're leaving Rivendell. And he says, yeah. uh, I just always do this whenever I'm going out on a quest. And it's, it's like, it's his thing chivalrous thing to do. <laughs> right. It's just right. this sort of kind of manly thing to do. And yeah, it's virtuous and it's brave, but it's like, it's not, it's not the, it's not wise. It's, it's not, not wise. Yeah. Exactly. And you Stupid see, is the word you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, you know, is the word I'm looking for. Yes. I've gotten so much flack for beating up on Boromir this season. I'm trying to be <laughs> trying to be gentle. Well, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's it's that kind of stuff. You see how these themes sort of echo throughout Tolkien's works in the Legendarium and out of the Legendarium, and it's mm-hmm. it's just fascinating. So let's talk about the man himself. As I said, since this is really the first episode uh, where people are really going to be being introduced to his works, if they haven't read them or experienced them already. Uh, can you just give us a bit of a sketch of Tolkien's life? Who Who is the man? What do we need to know about him, his life, his family, his work, uh, if, we, if, if we want to really dig into him and read him for all he's worth? Well, I, I think, you know, the first thing you just need to know a little bit about his background, right? Know about his, his history, uh, you know, born in, in 1892 uh, in Bloemfontein, which is now... Um, in part of South Africa, but it was then the Orange Free State. Which was a British colony, yeah. Right, it was a British colony. Uh, his dad was a bank manager, and when his fa- when he was three, Tolkien went to England uh, with his family uh, because, was somebody sick? I'm trying to remember. He, he was sick, yeah. It, it was, the, I think it was something about the climate. I think it was I don't his know brother. Was the heat or the... Yeah, yeah. They thought that the, the humidity would help. I believe... I thought was it his brother? I thought I couldn't. I thought it was Ronald himself, but it might have been. It was one of them. Yeah, but I mean, I know the kids, the babies, just weren't doing very well in the African no, they heat, weren't. and and so their mother Mabel took them to England. And this was yeah, he was what two or three, maybe three. almost. He was right three, about three, yeah. yeah. And so she she took the boys to Birmingham just for supposed to be just a short yeah. time, wasn't it? Right, but unfortunately, while they were there, uh, his father passed away. And Mm -hmm. so they were now stuck in England with no income. And 
it was really it was a really tough time. Uh, later on, his uh, his mom converted to Roman Catholicism, and at that time in England, that was not you know an okay thing for her family. Mm-hmm. They disowned her. She was not able to get any source of help, any any revenue to to raise the boys. Uh, so he was very strongly influenced by um, uh, by Father Francis Morgan. And of course, if you've seen the film and you talked about the film last week on, on the episode, so, you know, it, it's not Cole Meany, it's Francis Morgan, but, uh, <laughs> but he, uh, he'll always be the chief but, to me. Yeah, exactly. I, I kept right, wanting, yeah. I kept waiting for Picard to come around the corner and, and you know, or, or at least Commander Cisco, <laughs> one or the other. Uh, but, but she, she really raised, she really raised the boys strongly Catholic, didn't she? I mean, they, she, she was, did. she did, she mm-hmm. was a very devout Catholic and she raised the boys that way. Quite. It seemed like when she made that conversion, it was full fledged. Yeah. I mean, there, there was yeah, no, yeah. no turning back for her. So now she was going to embrace it wholly. And she yeah. really did. And she was a huge influence on those boys in all sorts of ways, not just, not just religion, but for Tolkien. I mean, she taught him, she taught him languages. She taught him French. She yeah. taught him Latin. She Art, read the story music. of Sigurd to him, so she was really yeah. instrumental in him falling in love with the the stories from Norse mythology that he became associated with. I mean, she was sounds like just an amazing woman and had yeah. such an impact on his life, and yeah. uh, and yet she was only in it for a short time. That's um, correct. She uh, she died of uh, complications from diabetes in mm-hmm. was it nineteen oh four nineteen oh four okay yeah so yeah. Ronald was twelve. Mm-hmm. And that's when, uh, when Father Francis Morgan stepped in as, um, as the boy's guardian. Right. And yeah, she had a tremendous influence on him. Uh, as Sean mentioned, she just, she knew so much and was able to teach him so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything from, from botany to art to languages. Uh, he was able to read, if I remember correctly, by the age of four, he was reading and was able to write short out, shortly yeah. after that. Just incredible, yeah. you know, obviously gifted, very, very gifted. Uh, but his, his mother was able to teach him a lot. And I think one thing you'll see, as we then mention the influence that his wife, Edith, had, uh, he had such tremendous respect for these two women, these two incredible women mm-hmm. in his life, uh, for, yeah. for his mother, uh, Mabel, and then for uh, Edith Bratt, who he would marry uh, you know, at a relatively young age, though probably not as young as he would have liked. <laughs> it was clear they should have gotten married a little sooner, but uh, uh, yeah. you know. Father Morgan did keep them from communicating for a little while because he felt like Tolkien was a little too young. Uh, the movie took some liberties with their story. They actually uh, got married bit, before yeah. he went off to the war. But, but you know, the love tale, you know, everything we know about it to be true is is true. They were madly in love. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a classic teenage romance in a lot of ways. I mean, she was— Oh, yeah. Forbidden. She was a little yeah. bit older than him. She was three years older than him. Yeah. Uh, she was, they were actually living in the same boarding house together. So right after a while after, after Mabel died, Father Francis put the, the Tolkien boys in a boarding house owned by a Mrs. Faulkner. And mm-hmm. one of the other tenants of the boarding house was Edith Brett, who was, right. I think she was 19 at the time and, and Tolkien was 16. That's correct. Yep. That is and, right. and she was, um. She was illegitimate. She was an, an illegitimate child living with uh, living with Mrs. Faulkner, playing the piano to entertain Mrs. Faulkner. And uh, yeah, the, the the two kids just hit it off, you know. And I, I think, you know, you kind of hinted at the fact, Alan, that Father Francis didn't really want Ronald seeing Edith. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was Catholic and she was Protestant. And at that yes. time, those things were a very big deal. 
They mattered. But, yeah, um, they really did. Yeah. And in fact, that was one of the uh, one of the conditions of their engagement was that she convert to Catholicism. Right. So that's I mean, right. that was a big thing for her to have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, it's a very it's a very sweet love story. What you get in the pages of like Humphrey Carpenter's yeah. biography. Um, oh, you yeah. know, if you want to learn more than our 10 minute overview, please. <laughs> that's the one to start with. I mean, there are other great biographies out there. Raymond Edwards, Tolkien, uh, John Garth's Tolkien in the Great War. Yeah. Uh, phenomenal works. And I recommend them highly. But if you've only if you're only going to read one. Start with Humphrey Carpenter's. It's just a great overview. Yeah. It's a good, good yeah, insight. Definitely. And you guys have a complete bibliography on your website, right? Yeah, we do. We do. We have links to all of them. Uh, we have little descriptions and yeah. We have a library of, of every book we've ever mentioned on our show, which is- uh, A lot now. <laughs> quite, a lo- quite a lot of books. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. So you've given a little bit of background to the man, the love of his life. They get married. They have a family. Um Yes. Before we leave his family and talk a little bit more about his writing, uh, I'd like to talk about his writing in his family. A couple of years ago, when I was back in Oxford, I saw an exhibition where they showed the letters that he wrote as Father Christmas to his own children. He did this for like decades. Making all fathers feel bad everywhere. Everywhere. Every Christmas, I feel terrible. The effort that he put into these things. He wrote, for folks who don't know, he wrote them, he illustrated them. There was a there was a legendarium of the North Pole in these letters. There yeah. were recurring characters. <laughs> he even wrote them in different in different scripts because the, the the North Polar Bear would write part of it, and then this this elf would write part of it, and then somebody else. Ilbereth the elf, as if that doesn't sound familiar to anybody who's read Lord yeah. of the Rings. Um, yeah, all these recurring characters and these stories of goblin wars, and I mean it's it's right right on brand for J.R.R. Tolkien. It is. I have to say, yeah. I'm getting married very soon, and I when I first learned about that, I immediately started feeling like a terrible father before I've even had children. <laughs> yes. I, I need to go and take some writing classes, and and then and then maybe they'll have an okay childhood. <laughs> yeah, you think to yourself, what have I done for my kids lately? Right, right. That is so true. It is it is a phenomenal thing that he did, and of course that volume is available. There there are visual aids in the book, right? You actually get to see not mm-hmm. only the text of the letters written as a book, but you get to see the letters themselves. So you see yeah. the the flowing script that he used or the blocky script for the for North Polar Bear, including mm-hmm. you know, grammatical errors and spelling errors on purpose because he's a bear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> North Polar Bear is a terrible stuff. speller. Yeah. And uh, there's there's even some Elvish in there. There's even some yeah. there's even some uh, some Elvish letters, some Tengwar in there. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this... This, the world of Middle Earth that he wrote about, it really, it, it sort of permeated every facet of his life. Um, it did. Right down to the, the, the letters he wrote to his children and, well, as we'll mm-hmm. get into in a moment, I'm sure, the stories he told his children. Well, and, and you realize that that's partly because he started writing those stories very early. When you do some of the history on the Silmarillion, you learn that he started to write some of these things in 1916, 1917, as a young man in the trenches of World War I. Before he had kids. Yes, after he got married to Edith, but before they'd started to have children. So these stories were fermenting in his mind for decades before they ever found their way mm-hmm. onto paper. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing stuff to see that kind of that kernel in the Father Christmas letters and realize what would later come of that. Yeah. So let's talk about that. What did yeah. Tolkien do? What was, what was his job? And where did all of these stories come from? And the languages that he invented? 
Can you unpack that a little bit, please? <laughs> How long do we have? <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess he's best known for his long tenure at Oxford as, um, as a professor of Anglo-Saxon, uh, primarily language, but also literature. Uh, his focus was always primarily linguistic. He was a philologist, which is kind of an old-fashioned word now for somebody who studies the history of languages and the intersection of language and folklore and mythology and, and all that stuff. And, and that was his... That was his day job, really. Um, he had done a couple of things before that. He, I, th- I think sh- right after he came back from the war, he worked for the Oxford English Dictionary. Yeah. That's right. He actually wrote yeah. he wrote a bunch of entries for the W section of the OED. So if you mm-hmm. if you have a copy Walrus. of the OED, um, <laughs> wow, adopt me. But if you can get it online, um, and you can you can look up some of the W's in like Walrus and Walnut. And, and these are these are entries yeah. that they're still Tolkien's entries. They've been edited a little bit over the years, but sure. they're still fundamentally Tolkien's entries. He taught in Leeds for a few years, mm-hmm. but then, yeah, he went to Oxford in 1925. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's when he was a professor of Anglo-Saxon at Pembroke. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where he remained. And I mean, he, it's funny, you know, we, we talked about this letter not too long ago on the show. I think Alan, you know, Tolkien never really thought of himself as a successful academic. No. There's that letter he wrote to one of his sons, I think it was Michael, towards the end of his life. And he, he joked about how he didn't realize he was a successful professor until after he retired. You know, and there's this, there's kind of an image of him as this sort of flighty dreamer of a, of a professor who was shirking his responsibilities and sitting around mm-hmm. writing about hobbits instead of doing real work. But the truth is, he was really, really busy as a professor. And I mean, if you look at one of our favorite reference works, which is uh, the chronology by Hammond and Skull, which is basically just a, a a listing of important dates and important events chronologically through Tolkien's life. You see that he was always attending meetings and lectures and <laughs> administrative discussions at Oxford. I mean, he was really, really busy on top of his work mm-hmm. as a teacher and as a lecturer. And well, I guess that kind of brings me to to one of him, his most important lectures as an academic which was really sort uh-huh, of the, yes. the foundational essay on Beowulf scholarship, which is Beowulf, the Monsters and the Critics. He That's did right. that one 1936. in 1936. And it it really sort of laid the foundation for every Beowulf scholarship that has come after it, is, is, is my understanding. Yeah. I am I am not a medievalist myself, but I understand that that's, that's sort well, of... Yeah, from talking with Dr. Olson and with... Uh, and with Michael, uh, and with Michael Drow and... And, and a few others who are are very well versed in, uh, yeah, in the Beowulf tradition as well as in medievalism in general. Uh, it is yeah. far and away, you know, this, this sort of seminal piece that changed the way Beowulf research, uh, Beowulf scholarship yeah. was, was conducted, and, and Beowulf appreciation too, because I mean, he was really oh, yeah. the first. He was really the first scholar to treat the Beowulf poem as a poem and read it as a story and a work of literature and something that's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be right. enjoyed because there's a dragon in it and because there's a giant monster in it, not despite those things. And right. I, it, I think it's safe to say that every bit of Beowulf scholarship since then has either been built on that or has been a reaction against it. So definitely an, an important piece of work. He, So I guess Anglo-Saxon or Old English was sort of his main focus. He, he did a lot of work on Middle English as well. He, he did some work on Chaucer. He did some work on Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. He actually edited a, a major scholarly edition of it in Middle English, you know, without translating it. But then he also 
He also wrote a translation of it, which you can buy in a volume with a couple of other Middle English poem translations, Pearl and Sir or Sir Orfeo. Yeah. Pearl and Sir Orfeo. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, he did old English primarily, but also some middle English. What else, Alan? Um, I mean, as I'm thinking of lectures, I guess we have to talk about on fairy stories, don't we? Uh, that's the one that I was going to right on fairy stories, which was uh, again, just seminal in terms of establishing the fantasy genre and defining it Mm -hmm. in many ways. And it's the piece that we can go back to. It's a very interesting piece to look at chronologically when you realize it took place between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Because yes. when you read it, you start to see how his deeper understanding of the genre and his, you know, the more thought that he's poured into it uh, created a very different feel for The Lord of the Rings than for The Hobbit. And even though he covers that with the frame narrative and, and you know, there are, quote unquote, in-universe reasons for why The Lord of the Rings has this different tone— you realize that as an author, he did that because he understood the significance and importance of certain concepts that he really fleshed out in On Fairy Stories, which, again, you know, we talked about how we covered the Silmarillion in season one to give people a, a foundation for the Lord of the Rings. Well, we actually covered On Fairy Stories in episode one to give people a foundation for all of the legendarium for that exact reason. And then it and then it wasn't until the beginning of season three that we actually covered the Beowulf essay on our show. And I, right. I, I think That's right. the two of those essays together, one written in 1936 and one written in 1939. And as you said, Alan, both of them coming in between the composition of The Hobbit and the composition of The Lord of the Rings, that that combination. And if I can borrow some some words and phrases from from Verlin Flieger, who's one of our favorite scholars yeah, um, yeah. who we've had on the show before. And, we you know, we've cited some of her works on the show. This sort of the two and the antitheses of these two essays, the Beowulf essay and the fairy stories essay, because one is this very grim Germanic work of literature and the other is about mm-hmm. fairy stories. And right. the interplay between those ideas really is kind of the secret sauce that turned the Hobbit, the world of the Hobbit into the world of Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's just focus in on that for a moment. So if first of all, if someone doesn't know what the Silmarillion what what is that and where does that fit in with the the entire idea of middle earth how how did tolkien go about constructing all of uh, the, of these major works well the second question might be too big to answer in a single episode let alone a single season even but uh <laughs> the first part i can answer the silmarillion there are 12 volumes of books outline answering right. that question but the history of middle earth they're, they're too, yeah. it would take us decades yeah uh, the Silmarillion itself was a volume published in 1977, so it was four years after Tolkien had died. It was put together by his son, Christopher, who was the literary executor of Tolkien's estate uh, and who himself, unfortunately, recently passed away as well. He has done tremendous work in bringing oh his gosh. father's yeah. work to the public. Yeah. I, I can't even begin to tell you how much the Tolkien world is in debt to Christopher Tolkien. Because yes, a- we wouldn't absolutely. have anything past The Lord of the Rings if it weren't for him. We wouldn't have... Most of what we have, yeah. Right. Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, and that's it, pretty much. I mean, well, yeah. we would have had Smith of Wooten Major. We would have had uh, a few others. But So Christopher put together the Silmarillion from notes that his father had written. And it is, for the most part, Tolkien's own words. Christopher did have to, mm-hmm. to fill in a couple of places here and there. And he talks about that in the history of Middle-earth and how, yeah, maybe with some more time, he would have made it a little bit different. But for the most part, these are stories that Tolkien had created much earlier, much earlier than The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And they also take place chronologically earlier than those stories. The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings take place in something called the Third Age of Middle-earth. And 
the Silmarillion starts at the beginning of time. It literally begins <laughs> uh, begins with what you would call Genesis one. Really, it's there was nothing. There was Eru, the one whom the elves call Iluvatar, and and that's it. And he then makes these angelic beings, and then together they do this music, and it creates the vision of the world. And then Eru makes the world real uh, mm-hmm. you know, because he only he has the power to do that. And then these angelic beings become something called the Valar, or the powers of the world. They go into the world and they kind of run it for him. And mm-hmm. it's very, very consistent with his own beliefs. He explained many times in his letters that he designed this system to be consistent with somebody who believes in Christianity, who believes in, in monotheism. And he wanted it to fit with that. And so we made it fit with that. And but what's ma- what's amazing? It's about actually that brilliant. Is, if I may, if I may interject, yeah, Alan, it's actually that's brilliant exactly where I was going to he... lean to you. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah. It's it's brilliant the way he did that because he was a Catholic and he did believe in one God, uh, the, tr- the Holy Trinity, and all of that. But he he also was a fan of, and, and when I say fan, I mean a scholar and somebody who deeply <laughs> felt in his soul, right. a love for Germanic languages and Germanic literature. And and so that idea of many gods, you know, Odin and Thor and Baldur and all those things, this was a way for him to bring together that monotheistic and that polytheistic world. So he he creates this idea of Eru the One, Iluvatar, the One God, and he is the One God, capital G. But then the Valar take this place of like like Alan said they're they're angelic beings Tolkien in one of his essays called them demiurges which is a fancy word for the the ones who do the shaping based on the creator's plan right and that's kind of the role they play they're kind of like the little they they serve a role similar to the little g gods of traditional yeah. mythologies and so you've got with each one having a realm right Right. So you've got Manwe, who's the Lord of the Air, and you've got Ulmo, who's the Lord of the Sea, and Aule, who's the Lord of the Earth, and Yavanna, who's the Lady of, of Trees and Vegetation and Animals. And so they each have a very traditional kind of domain similar to gods and polytheistic religions, but they're all, they're all sub-created, well, they're all, they're all created beings with sub-creative power given to them by Eru the One. And so that's how he manages to... Who is the only self-existent. Right. Yeah. yeah, Right. Exactly. And so that's how he manages to, to strike that balance. And it's really a phenomenal thing. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is a great balance because people who don't come from his worldview can enjoy it immensely. They don't feel mm-hmm. like they're being told that, this, you know, you must shoehorn your beliefs, you know, to match with mine mm-hmm. if, before you can enjoy <laughs> this story. It's not the case at all. But this it takes place all the way back there and then it goes all the way through what we would call the first age, which is this period of mm-hmm. Middle Earth long before the history of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. The continent is different. There's a whole different part of the land called Beleriand in this tale that eventually gets sunk under the sea in the War of Wrath when Sauron's boss gets destroyed. Sauron, as bad as he is in The Lord <laughs> of the Rings. Sauron had a boss, folks. Yeah. He, he had yeah. a boss who was Let's a lot worse. And yeah. so The Silmarillion is this tale of the first age. And with its epilogue, uh, Akalabeth, the Second Age as well, at least through the eyes of the Numenorians. So, which is, they're the ancestors of the men. Yeah, exactly. For anyone who's interested in the elves of the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit, that's the primary focus of the Silmarillion. It really is. Yes, it is. Principally the story of the elves. It is an elvish history. Um, it is an elvish history relayed by men, but now I'm getting way too technical with it. Well, um, right. And there's nary a hobbit in sight, not a single there, hobbit in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, like Frodo gets like one mention on like 
nearly the last page in an epilogue. Right. Right. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, it's all about the elves and in, in Tolkien's, in Tolkien's mythology, the elves were the firstborn children of Iluvatar and the men right. were the secondborn children of Iluvatar. And so the elves came first and they created all the beautiful things they created and they built these amazing cities and they went to war with Morgoth, the original dark Lord, Sauron's old boss. And, and eventually they, they have to move aside and make way for the dominion of men. And, Mm -hmm. and the Silmarillion is really sort of their time and men sort of come into it maybe a little bit before halfway through. Um, and then men start to kind of filter into the stories and it, it gradually Tolkien himself described the stories as gradually kind of coming down from this very, uh, sort of, kind of the Genesis and the biblical level down to more of a heroic romance kind of level. So the stories yeah. kind of it shift kind of goes from, from legendary being... to mythic to heroic. It, it, it moves. Exactly. From That's a really good way of saying these it. different yeah. scales. Yeah. 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 That's pretty amazing stuff. So that's kind of in a nutshell. And I know that, boy, I, I don't know that if you'd asked me an hour ago, whether I could have given you a five minute synopsis <laughs> of the Silmarillion, I don't think I would have been able to, but that really is it in a nutshell. And all of that stuff was background for him when he wrote The Lord of the Rings. And you see bits mm-hmm. and pieces of that come through. There, one of my favorite yeah. moments that we'll get to in a few seasons is the ride of the Rohirrim at the Battle of the Pelennor Fields. And the narrator describes Theoden leading the charge of the horsemen down to battle with the orcs as like Orome in it, riding in his wrath. Nobody knew who mm-hmm. Orome was when who's the Lord Orome? of the Rings was published. Right. Yeah, it's like, who's Orome? Who's what this are you, Orome are you guy? Yeah. And... And when you read the Silmarillion, all of a sudden that's fleshed out and you see so much more depth and these little bits and pieces of of what we would call textual ruins. And that's a a phrase that I believe Professor Drought came up with uh, that that, that kind of hint at a deeper history. They get filled in and you get to find out about them. And yet there are still more Mm -hmm. textual ruins. So there's always always. that hint of something deeper. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, as you're talking about that, Alan, we were talking a moment ago about the difference between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And that's. That's another thing that you see that's different between those two of his major works, which is in The Hobbit, every once in a while, the world of the Silmarillion just kind of surfaces a little bit. Yep. So when he finds Sting and we talk about Gondolin. Yeah. When Bilbo finds his sword and Elrond identifies it as a sword from Gondolin. Gondolin is one of those big elvish cities that I was just talking about from the Silmarillion. Yes. Or when you get to the the description of Mirkwood and the, the elves of Mirkwood. And Tolkien goes on this little digression about the three kindreds of elves who went to fairy yeah. in the West. The deep elves, the sea elves, and the yeah. high elves. Yeah. That is all stuff that's told in the Silmarillion. But Correct. it seems at times he was, he was almost more inspired by himself when he was writing mm-hmm. The Hobbit, as opposed to explicitly trying to tie The Hobbit into that world of the Silmarillion. Yeah. By the time he was writing Lord of the Rings, he, he, was, he was actively telling a story that was a sequel to the Silmarillion. He was, he was actively bringing that stuff in and he was actively trying to, to, to create a story that existed in that world. Which is why he had to retcon the entirety of chapter five in The Hobbit. The, when mm-hmm. you go from right. the first edition of The Hobbit that was published in 1937 to the second edition, which was, Sean, I want to say 1950, 51? I, I'm, I may be wrong and I know we've got a lot of book experts who'll be able to tell me. That sounds but about right. Somewhere in that time frame, uh, he converted chapter five, and that's the chapter where he find, where Bilbo finds the ring and has his riddle game with Gollum. And it changes substantively the nature of the ring. And that's because when he was drafting the Lord of the Rings, he knew he had to go back and fix this and make the ring the connection between the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings and bring the Hobbit into the world of Middle-earth 
created for the Silmarillion. Uh, and that's why now it, you know, creates this, this hole. But at the same time, yeah. The Hobbit always feels just a little bit different as a result. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think we now understand everything about Middle Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Our job here is done, Sean. How in the world do you do that when we've spent 175 episodes and we're barely I know. halfway through the, I know, not right? even halfway through yeah. Lord of the Rings? <laughs> I don't, I don't know why it takes you guys so long normally. You clearly need to come on the show more often. You <laughs> too, get it done so much Too many quicker. digressions, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but now we've spoken about Middle Earth. Tolkien also wrote other books and I yes, actually recently, I've read very few of them, but uh, yeah, the one that I did recently read was Leaf by Niggle, and that was delightful. Uh, are there any other of his works that would be good first-time reads for people who are just getting into Tolkien? Leaf by Niggle is actually a great one. Uh, I, I think it, it because it tells you so much about Tolkien as a man as well uh, and mm. as a writer. Uh, it is such a rich, rich story, and yet it's an easy read. It's one of those things where you'll keep discovering things every time you read it. It's deeply moving. Uh, and and it's my actual favorite non-legendarium work, though I know Sean is going to tell us about something else, his favorite non-legendarium work. I am, but I'm going to say that for anybody who has read, let's say somebody's read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, maybe they're not sure they're ready for The Silmarillion or they've read The Silmarillion and they're not sure they want to dive into the history of Middle-earth, but they want to read some of his other stuff. I think pick up a volume called Tales from the Perilous Realm. That's an anthology of shorter works. Yes, absolutely. It contains a lot of these. Yeah. It's an anthology of shorter works. It has Leaf by Niggle in it. Uh, it also has a nice tie back to Middle Earth because it's got a collection of poems called The Adventures of Tom Bombadil, only two of which are actually about Tom Bombadil. And no, they do not tell you <laughs> what or who he actually is. <laughs> no, no, they don't. But um, but there's some great poems in there. And yeah. there's um, there's a really fun one called Farmer Giles of Ham which is a hilarious story. story about a, a dragon hunter. Uh, but yeah. then there's my favorite, which is Smith of Wooten Major, which mm. is mm-hmm. uh, a, it's actually the, the last story that Tolkien wrote that he saw published in his lifetime. It was published in 1967, I believe, really close to the end mm-hmm. of his life. And it started as a, a, a preface to a, another fantasy work. And then it just became its own story about the yes. nature of fairy. And it is, it's, it's another one of those stories that kind of, uh, kind of puts into practice some of his ideas from on fairy stories about the nature of fairy. And it's about this, this character named Smith who finds a, a, a finds a passport into the fairy realm and just the, the effect it has on his life. And it's beautiful. It's, it's kind of sad in a way. I think Tolkien himself said it was kind of sad. It was written by an older man near the end of his life, but it's beautiful and it's poignant. And it's, it's also a lot of fun really, despite sort of a sad undertone. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of great stuff in Tales from the Perilous Realm for somebody who's interested in Tolkien, but you know, maybe not ready to, to dive into the, the deep end of Middle Earth of which there is a lot. Yeah. I would recommend though, if, if somebody's going to read Smith of Wooten Major, I love the idea of Tales of the Perilous Realm, but there's actually a standalone edition of that put out, I think in about 2005, 2006, that Dr. Flieger wrote the, the notes for. It's a critical edition of Smith of Wooten Major. And that is really insightful. It gives you, I think, a great viewpoint on the story itself. So yeah. yeah, some really good essays in there. And also the original Pauline Baines illustrations, which are not in Tales from the Perilous Realm. That's correct. Uh-huh. Well, you just spoke about going deeper into Tolkien. And that's really my last major question, because when I listen to you guys talk about Tolkien, I'm always amazed at how much you know. 
you talk about etymologies, <laughs> oh, Tolkien's languages, which we've barely scratched in, in, in this talk, but Tolkien developed sure. full languages and you seem familiar with them and understand them. And so basically what I want to know is uh, how do we all become experts? <laughs> Listen to our show? No. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, you know, I, I think you know this as a podcaster. You know that when you're about to, to talk about something, you dive deep into that and you grab the material. A lot of that yeah. is stuff that we don't have off the top of our heads. If we were in a conversation at a pub, I might remember something about something that led me to think X or Y, but I wouldn't have handy the actual text of that etymology. It wouldn't be in my brain. But I do know how to find it. I do know that mm -hmm. there's going to be something deeper out there. And so for us, it's just a matter of preparation. Uh, but, you know, we don't have that encyclopedic knowledge on hand all the time, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> it's a matter of an embarrassingly large bookcase full of Tolkien books and knowing which one yeah. to look in at any given that time. That is correct. Yeah. And that's really what it has boiled down to. And a lot of it is just sort of magpieing stuff you find along the way. Um, some of the, mm -hmm. some of the yeah. best linguistic material... That, that you find on Tolkien, uh, Alan's going to laugh because I, I keep going back to... Parma uh, <laughs> L. Delamberon, 17. There's a series of, of linguistic journals that have been published posthumously yeah. that, that people in the Tolkien, the Tolkien fan community have published with Christopher Tolkien's permission. They've gotten access to all these linguistic papers and they've published them posthumously. A, an editor named Christopher Gilson has been putting this stuff out for years. And a lot of those things are out of print. You kind of have to hunt yes. them down. And and there's there's one in particular, one issue in particular, number 17, which I keep going back to on our show because it's got glosses for virtually every Elvish word in Lord of the Rings. And it's, you know, sometimes yeah. it's a little bit of work to track those down on the Internet. But if you look hard enough on eBay and things like that, you can find them out there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's really I, I couldn't agree with Alan more. I think it's we've just we've we have read quite a bit and we, we kind of remember oh, yeah, this is in this particular book. Oh, this was in mm -hmm. Tom Shippey's book, Road to Middle-Earth, or whatever. And and so it's it's just about pulling up those texts and, and having that information in front of us when we record the show. Yeah, it's just really just knowing how to be good researchers, finding the information, yeah. even if we don't know it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also finding that that particular little hook that you love and that makes you want to dig deeper. So again, yes, whether it's the languages or whether it's the history of the elves or whatever, Find find that one thing, dig deep on that, and as you're doing that, I promise you, you will find little oh, yes. side paths and side roads that you can go down and find out more about something you didn't even know was in there. It's it's really just about, you know, finding what it is that, that makes you passionate about Tolkien's work and, mm -hmm. and reading deeper into yeah. that. And there is a ton of information out there. And as we've said, we've got links to a lot of it on our site. In a way, we're very surfacey. I know I know that sounds crazy to say that, but we we actually don't cover it as in-depth as it could be covered. We could easily yeah. spend five times the amount of time we do uh, because there's always so much to talk about. People who write academic papers on one little niche thing that we could spend an entire episode talking about. We don't because we do want this to be general audience. We want it to be entertaining to a broad scope of people. And we, we love knowing that we're presenting Tolkien in a way that first-time readers can still enjoy as well as near experts because there are people out there let's be honest there are listeners who know a lot more about oh, who know more than certain we do. individual Absolutely. topics yeah we're generalists yep. we have to know a lot about everything but there are people who are going to know a lot more than us on one particular mm -hmm. thing 
You know, it might yeah. be the history of Middle Earth or it might be an Elvish language or it might be something practical like when we talked about mithril armor and we ended up hearing from people who are actual armorers <laughs> and who know yeah. how to make armor yeah. or, you know, physicists who can talk to us about, you know, arrows and spears and, and, and how they impact. Ar- I mean, it's just, you know, yeah. we're always going to hear from experts who know more than us. So knowing that you're never going to be the expert you want to be is a good place to start. But then recognizing you can lean on those people and find them is, is another one. And I think that's another that's another great resource is the people who are out there. There are, you know, I I know there there's a ton of different Tolkien fan groups out there. Um, but if you find the right ones, like you know the, the Tolkien Society, or um, you know, there's a handful of really good subreddits out there. Um, and if you if you listen to the right people, you'll you'll know which ones know what they're talking about. Talk to those people. Yeah, you'll Some figure of them that out are, pretty quickly. Some of them are actual published scholars in the field of Tolkien studies who are who have a Twitter account or who post on Reddit. And and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you start talking to those people, you find out there's a lot of really smart people out there who a lot who know their stuff and who just love talking about this stuff. So I have to not think about that when we record or I am intimidated because there are so <laughs> many people out there who are so much smarter than we are. Yeah. But we're such nice guys that people tend to like us. Oh, even yeah. when we make a mistake, it helps. Well, that's part of the reason why, in the introduction to our podcast, we emphasize the fact that we're amateurs. So yes. any mistakes that we make, yeah. it's like, ah, we didn't train in this. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, right. it is kind of what we do. We, we, I don't think we call that out much anymore, but... We're, we're passionate amateurs, absolutely. Yeah, but we always, we're, we're always willing to correct ourselves on the air. It just usually takes us about six weeks to get around to it because of the way our production schedule runs. Uh, mm-hmm. So by yep. the time somebody hears an episode, finds a mistake gets to us and tells us this, this was a mistake and here's why, well, we can put it in our next recording, but that might not be out for another month. So, <laughs> Right. I will say the one thing I'm still waiting for, though, is uh, for Quenya or Sindarin to be on Duolingo. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? I think that would really help me. That would be so I would cool. actually buy a subscription yeah. instead of just using the free version right there. <laughs> <laughs> that would be super cool. I, I would, oh, I would spend so much time there. If that were the case. <laughs> I actually think there is a viable business model for that because I've spoken to a lot of people who really love Tolkien and they've tried learning the languages and they've just found the resources out there a little bit too hard, a little bit too dry. Mm-hmm. So if anyone has any connections with Duolingo, send me an email. I think we need to make this happen. That would be awesome. <laughs> awesome. Aure and Tuluva. <laughs> the, the day shall come. The day shall come again. That would be great. Okay, so during Tolkien Month, I'm ending every interview with a simple quiz. Uh, I'll uh-huh. give you guys two options, and all you have to do is choose your preferred option. Okay. Okay. So, Sounds easy. You ready? Yep. Okay, here we go. Tea or coffee? Uh, I prefer tea, but I do drink coffee for medicinal purposes because I have kids. <laughs> medicinal purposes. That's great. I actually, oh, this is terrible. I'm not a hot beverage guy. I, I really Things I drink should be cool. <laughs> Sorry, water. Wow. Dude, <laughs> I you guess you can get iced tea and coffee. <laughs> I know I could get. Well, you know, actually, yes. There we go. Iced coffee then. <laughs> elves or dwarves? Elves. Yeah, elves. Early bird or night owl? I am a night owl. Not sure anymore. I, I, I guess I'm still an early bird though. <laughs> this this quarantine thing has really changed uh, my sleeping <laughs> patterns so but I'm sure I'll go back to being an early bird again later Gandalf or Radagast Gandalf oh yeah Gandalf in a heartbeat call or text text <laughs> <laughs> I'm old school call 
Tom Bombadil, wonderful or wretched? Wonderful. <laughs> but I was I was on wretched at one time. I will admit, folks who have listened to our okay. show know that it took me a, took me a while to come along to Tom Bombadil. But yes, wonderful. I, I'd find a W in the middle called weird, but between those two, I'll go wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need to add that. <laughs> okay. iPhone or Android? iPhone. iPhone, yeah. That's good. There's nothing sadder than when you send a new friend a text and the bubble goes green. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. That's terrible. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. It's like, do I just delete the number now? Yeah. <laughs> That is so true. I'm sorry, we can't be friends. There are some divides that can't be crossed. That's right. I guess we'll have to use Messenger now because I'm not going to text you. Yeah. <laughs> when my fiance and I first started dating, it, it was kind of like Romeo and Juliet because I was iPhone. She was Android. Oh, boy. Yeah. <sighs> Don't worry. She came over to, to the light side fairly quickly. Well, I'm pleased Good. to hear that. Good. It's an expensive light side. But it is, it's the light side it for sure. It is. It is. It, it's, I think it's very elfish. Everything, it's, it takes more time and energy and cost, but everything is so beautiful. It is. It just works. Yeah. There's an elegance to it. <laughs> it's, it's kind, yeah. iPhone versus Android is kind of like the elves versus the dwarves. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. an interesting, that is an interesting parallel. I won't disagree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Somebody needs to write a paper about that. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Pippin or Mary? Mary. Ooh. Yeah, Mary is a little bit wiser. I, I do tend to like Mary a little bit better. It's the Rohirrim thing. I, I I love the Rohirrim connection, and I'm the Lord of the Mark, so I have to go with Mary. <laughs> yeah. Shalob or Nazgul? Ooh. Um, to hang out with? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Neither one. Nazgul. Nazgul. I think they're yeah. they're certainly more interesting. Yeah. Man, you know, I shouldn't have let you go first on all of these, Sean, because I feel like I'm just parroting your answers, but Nazgul. I mean, <laughs> one Nazgul could take out Shelob in a heartbeat. Well, we always agree, Alan. You know this. I know. Everybody criticizes us for always agreeing, but yeah, uh, definitely Nazgul over Shelob, sure. Okay, well, here's a divisive question. Second breakfast or Elevenses? Hmm. <laughs> Is this where we introduced the two terms that we accidentally came up with? No, best if we don't. Um, <laughs> no, inside inside joke, we'll leave inside, yes. I, I think Elevenses, just because I, I'm not really hungry enough for second breakfast, but by Elevenses, I might be able to, you know, to, to enjoy a, a muffin, a mimosa, something like that, you know. Well, the sad thing is I'm doing a lot of intermittent fasting, so lunch is at 1130 and I don't eat before then, but on a good day when I'm actually eating, I would say second breakfast because who's going to turn down bacon a second time? Smart man. Well, you didn't say there was yeah. bacon. But yeah. Oh, well, there you go. If it's a breakfast, there's bacon. If, there, if there's no bacon, it's not breakfast. It's just a waffle or something. Actually, as an aside, I, I, I don't think I've ever come across any confirmation of this, but I'm convinced that Tolkien modeled the Hobbit meals after the liturgy of the hours of the Catholic Church. They, they oh. all mirror up perfectly. Really? That's a fascinating thing. I'm going to have to look into that. I, I don't have a background in Catholicism, so I would not have uh, noticed that. But, boy, I'm going to have to dig into that. The Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, oh, that's going to be an interesting little that study. That does sound fascinating. I think, I think we need to Thank look you into for that. another digression. Well, <laughs> yeah. if you can prove it, it'll be very satisfying because this is what my gut tells me. And when we're speaking about meals, I always follow my gut. 
Well, yes. <laughs> well said. Follow your nose, Pippin. <laughs> okay, Boromir or Faramir? Oh, oh Faramir. I can, I'm going first here. Faramir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Faramir is my favorite character in the entire Legendarium, so yeah, Faramir. He's, he's close to mine. Yeah. Okay, you'll appreciate this next one. Balrogs, wings or wingless? Oh, oh, oh tell me you heard our show. <laughs> That's like asking us, is Feanor good or is he a villain? I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Balrogs do not have wings in any way, shape, or form. Just metaphorical wings. That's a big no on wings. Yeah. 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 Bagels or croissant? Oh, croissant. Why, am I all, why do I let you go first, Sean? You're always taking my answer. Croissant. But I don't say it like a Frenchman because Tolkien wouldn't say it. Because Tolkien didn't. Because Tolkien wasn't a fan Crescent. of the French language. No, no, he didn't. He detested French food. In one of his letters, that's what he talks about. I detest <laughs> yeah. French food. Well, I don't, and I love croissants. I love crescents. I like crescent rolls. Yeah, with with bacon and eggs, breakfast crescents. Can't argue with that. All right, I'm pulling you guys in. Okay, we got we got five more to go. The movies or the book? Oh. Oh, the books. The books, yeah. Arwen or Eowyn? Eowyn. My absolute favorite character in the in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, on this one, I'm going to have to go Arwen. Did we disagree about something? That's amazing. We just did, yeah. We also disagreed about Second Breakfast or Elevens, <laughs> but you didn't seem to notice that. That's true. No, I didn't. Well, <laughs> you were talking about Eowyn, that's all. This, this is good. I'm stoking up controversy <laughs> for your podcast. I appreciate that very much. We're going to have to put that on Twitter and, like, start a war. All right. <laughs> Rivendell or Lothlorien? I'm going to go. I'll go Rivendell. I'll say it first. I almost always say Rivendell. We have spent a lot of time in Lothlorien in, in our show recently because we've just gotten through that part of the book. And I've, I've found a love for Lothlorien that I, I didn't always have, but I think I'm still Rivendell. Yeah, I, I'm definitely Rivendell. At Lothlorien, the hard part is... You're kind of by yourself. Nobody speaks your language. And the only time you ever get invited to anything with your host is right when you're leaving. So I, I prefer <laughs> the last homely house. But you do get a party favor. Yeah, that is That's true. true. That is true. They, they do give nice parting gifts. Unless yeah. you're Boromir, Mary, or Pippin, in which case you get a nice little belt. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> I got like the killer bow, the biggest bow they ever made, and it's strung with elf hair. I got a sheath for my sword that has its name in jewels. Somebody needs to do yeah. the uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas special yeah. with that, like you know, seriously, or the Halloween special. Charlie Brown reaches into the bag instead of pulling out rocks. Yeah, I got a rock. I got, I got a belt. <laughs> okay, last two: Gollum or Jar Jar Binks? Oh goodness! <laughs> which one do I want to kill more? Uh, which one do I want to? <laughs> Tie to the front of my car and drive at a very high speed for a long period of time. Oh, um, Gollum. Just because um, my kids like when I do my Gollum voice. My kids don't like uh-huh. it when I do my Jar Jar voice. <laughs> Misa not like your Jar Jar voice, son. Nobody like your Jar Jar voice. <laughs> Misa think that voice terrible. Me? Um, Misa think I you're can't... a great Jedi. <laughs> I cannot. Here's the thing. I would pick Gollum because at least he has some redeeming characteristics. There you go. <laughs> Solid answer. He killed babies, but he's not Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> That's right. He didn't kill a movie franchise. <laughs> Just his best friend oh, on his birthday. Oh, 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 oh. All right. Fair enough. All right. Last one. Tolkien or Lewis? Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I am sorry. I, I love Lewis. <laughs> you, you can't ask us that question. I, I know we're in your house, David, but Tolkien. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I love Lewis. I really do. And if I'm going to read, especially if I'm going to read nonfiction, I'm going to read a lot of Lewis's stuff. I'm impressed as can be with his thinking, with the way he lays out an argument. But I'm going to pick Tolkien every time between the two of them. It's allowed. Good. <laughs> Gentlemen, thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, Our pleasure. An hour is too short a time to be spent chatting with such excellent and admirable men as yourselves. Oh, uh, well done. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> to wrap up, can you please tell the listeners where they can go and find out more about you and listen to your podcast? Absolutely. You can go to our website, theprancingponypodcast.com. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page, which is also The Prancing Pony Podcast. And then on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Prancing Pony Pod. And you can also find us on Reddit, where we have a really active subreddit with something like 6,000 members now at r slash Prancing Pony Pod. That's right. And you can find us even on Android devices, by the way. I just want you to know that <laughs> we are available <laughs> on that substandard platform. Although, be warned, the text will be harder to read. We are everywhere you find <laughs> podcasts. We're on we're that on Stitcher, correct. we're on Spotify, we're on we're on TuneIn. Yeah. You you can yeah. listen to us on Alexa through TuneIn. So if you want to yeah. say, you know, Alexa play the Prancing Pony podcast on TuneIn. You have to add that, I think. We're going to say that again really clearly. Alexa, right. play the Prancing Pony podcast. Yeah. There you on go. TuneIn. Little gift. <laughs> yeah. We actually, we actually ordered paper towels for some of our listeners once when we were joking about Alexa. And we said something like, <laughs> Alexa, order paper towels. And the next thing you know, we have people emailing us saying, thanks a lot. Alexa, put paper <laughs> towels in my cart. So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, I'd like to thank my guests again, as well as our Patreon supporters, particularly our top tier supporters of John, Kate and Rowdy. Listeners, please come back next week when we'll be heading down the Tolkien Road with two other podcasters and spending quite some time with the Silmarillion. Then we'll continue going further up and, and further, further in. in. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.